0: Welcome to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids, a place for all things parenting. I am your host, Sue DeCaro. Today, I'm excited to introduce my special guest, Katie Kimball. Katie is the national voice of healthy kids cooking, is a blogger, former teacher, and a mom of four kids who founded the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse, recommended by the Wall Street Journal as the best online cooking class for kids. Her blog, Kitchen Stewardship, helps families stay healthy without going crazy. And she's on a mission to connect families around healthy food and teach every child in America to cook. Katie, welcome. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Sue. It's a pleasure.
0: So let's just start with how did you get started on this journey?
1: Well, I uh, when I was pregnant with my first was probably the first time I really cared about what I was putting in my mouth very much. Um, you know, we we started to slowly transform our lifestyle then from hamburger helper, bagged salad, bottled dressing, to making a lot more from scratch. Um, it just, I mean, I think a lot of moms have that experience where, oh my goodness, every bite matters so much to this tiny little baby. And and for me, it was it was a combination of tiny baby steps and then a huge, you know, floodgates opening and making a lot of changes. And as I was as I was doing that, standing at the cutting board a lot more, I'm a, I'm a teacher by trade. And so my brain is always going on how I would teach what I'm doing. And I heard from other moms, you know, in my own Bible studies and, and young moms of babies communities that they were going through similar struggles and how hard it was to be on a budget, trying to eat healthy. Right. To figure out what's healthy and what's not and, and, and to not spend all of our time, you know, up until midnight chopping vegetables or making homemade baby food. And so that all, all those ideas sort of collided in my brain in this term kitchen stewardship. How do we take, you know, good stewardship of our time, our budget, our family's nutrition and our earth? And I, and I kept seeing, you know, little habits and techniques I was doing that made that easier for me and thinking about how I would teach them to others. And I thought I might write a book um, to make some money because I just quit teaching. And I, realized, I quickly figured out that was not a good way to make money. Um, but someone recommended I started writing online on a blog. I literally had no clue what a blog was in 2008. Uh, but three months later, I launched Kitchen Stewardship, That's little nugget of an idea and i loved it i I loved the feedback of blogging and the online community um and and i and then i kept hearing another story from these moms they say katie i really really want to get healthy but this is so hard because i was never taught to cook and i thought hmm you know i'm seeing in my own world my own life as we you know i'm growing my blog we're adding children we have once we got to four kids i hit a personal crisis point where i was spending all my time feeding these beautiful children nourishing food and not seeing them because i'm spending all my time in the kitchen you know and um and i realized goodness if i'm not even teaching my kids to cook these other moms who were not taught to cook as kids aren't either and this cycle is just going to continue 20 years from now kids will say oh i wish i could get healthy but i was never taught to cook Right. So it was sort of these dual needs, the needs I saw in my community and my desperation, needing a little help and sharing responsibility in a household of six people where I thought I have got to teach my kids to cook. And and then we just built it into, you know, this opportunity for other parents to easily teach their kids to cook, too.
0: It's it's beautiful, and and now is the time, right? We're you know we're home more than not with our children. Our children are home, and what a beautiful way to connect as well as a family. Connect with each one of your children as they're actually helping you prepare a meal, and you know move forward in the kitchen to do something fun and engaging. That's awesome.
1: We we see the connection as a, a massive benefit, and and that was shocking to me. Actually, again, I was, I was purely practical in my teaching kids to cook. I wanted them to be healthy adults. I needed a little help in the kitchen. And, and now at Kids Cook Real Food, we call it our three Cs are connection, confidence, and creativity, because those were the unexpected benefits I saw. And you're so right that the connection between members of the family and connection with the food is incredibly grounding and powerful for kids.
0: Wow. I love that connection, confidence, and creativity. And many parents come to me as I'm sure they come to you discussing what they call picky eaters, which I'm using that term because it's been used with me. But of course, labeling our children picky eaters is probably not the best way to help them connect with food and food choices. And I always talk and I'd love to hear your take on it about empowering our children in so many different ways. And obviously by inviting them into the kitchen to be part of the meal prep, we are empowering them. But let's take a, a step back. How do you empower kids or how do you suggest empowering kids when it comes to maybe meal design or you know, creating a meal plan for the week or grocery shopping or making a list or finding a recipe? What, what do you do in reference to that and how do you teach that?
1: Sure. You know, getting kids involved is all about what works for the family. So I can't say I have a specific prescription for that. It's, it's more of just, you gotta do something. Right? So if you're shopping in store, man, take the kids with you at least sometimes and let them pick out some food. They've never seen that they'd be willing to try. That's going to at least two X your chances that they'll try something new. Right? Because it's their own motivation. Uh, If you're shopping online through Instacart or whatever, grocery delivery, you know, have, have them help and maybe talk about budget or or health, or maybe not. Maybe just make sure they choose a few things that you would, wouldn't mind seeing them eat. Um, I think, I mean, really the, the power of getting kids involved is it not only is it empowering them to have agency and to have choice, which is amazing and, and incredibly important when you're thinking about you know, trying to get them to eat at the table, right? When you feel that you have agency, you feel that you're in control of your situation, which is what making choices does for children, you're more likely to not push back, right? And to not have power struggles. But even more importantly, when it comes to food in particular, is the feeling a picky eater has. And and I know I don't like that term either, but so we we won't say it in front of our kids, but we can say it. We'll say it now. Turn the (laughs) podcast off if your kids are in the room. Okay. Picky eater sits down at a table, and sees a plate of food in front of them, they immediately think someone is going to make me eat this. Okay, Mm -hmm. and that is stressful. And we know physiologically, the first thing stress feelings do is shut down our digestive system. It shuts it down because if you're stressed, you don't have time to properly to digest food, okay? So your fight or flight response shuts down that digestive system, turns off your appetite, which are the last two things we want to happen. With our picky eater, and that perceived pressure—even if you've never told your kid they have to clear their plate—the perceived pressure of "I'm going to have to eat this" is a huge roadblock for any mm. child in trying something particular, trying something new and novel. However, when they're working in the kitchen, that pressure is absent. I think is about no them pressure,
0: feel, filling their plate. So when I when I think of the plate in front of the child and the child feeling the pressure to have to eat what's on the plate. What about how you know, besides having the child in the kitchen, what are your thoughts about having the child actually put the food on their plates? So they feel as if, again, they have some control over how much and what goes on their plate to some to some extent.
1: Yes. Uh, very important, very important. Children putting food on their own plates, you know, they can choose their portions. And I like I like to say in our family, we call it a taste or a serving. Okay. So so the child can't say, no, thanks. No, thanks. No, thanks. Right. And pass on everything, even though that's one potential opportunity situation. Right. But we say, you know, you need to have a taste or a serving. What do you choose? And so a taste can be that one bite. Right. Mm -hmm. But this is so cool, Sue, because I mean, maybe you didn't even know you were setting me up for this, but there's actually a physiological bodily reason to have children pass the food and serve themselves. Because there's a sort of, and it's the same one that, that acts in the kitchen as well. It sort of inoculates your system with the smells and maybe the touches, the tactile sensation of the food, which which gets the child's body closer to being ready to actually accepting it on their tongue. How cool is that? So that happens when they're preparing food, happens when they're serving food too, And it fills up what I call the exposure bucket, you know, especially like your picky eaters, they might need 157 exposures to broccoli before they eat it. That's a lot of pieces of broccoli on their plate, but serving it, cutting it up, washing it, choosing it in the grocery store, those all count. So parents need, yeah, we need those strategies to fill that exposure bucket to get our kids closer to eating real, real food and good food
0: so don't serve it from the pot put it in a bowl and pass it around
1: (laughs) or have the child go up to the pot either way i mean i ideally right like your experts would say family style pass it around but sometimes you don't have those five extra minutes to plate and five extra minutes to do dishes i get that but as long as the child is exposed to the sights, smells and sounds even and touches of the food that's all exposure bucket
0: So we have to be patient then with our children, with the exposure bucket, correct? We can't expect that, you know, we make the meal, we slaved over a hot stove, maybe they helped, maybe they didn't, and that they're just going to sit down and cooperate, right? It takes time.
1: It does. It does take time. And I know um, my, I have four kids I mentioned, child number three, his name is John, and he's nine now. But when he, and he was a great eater. I mean, this boy loves to eat food is his life <laughs> sometimes <laughs> he was a great eater until he turned about two or three and then he was a no green foods kid <laughs> right killed me as a mother who had already successfully ushered two children you know through the vegetable phases and um you know i then i'm teaching people about healthy food and now i have a no green foods kid like how did that happen and that lasted until it lasted a couple years until he was about five. I think he was kindergarten and he was, you know, having that, that one taste bite that darn little piece of broccoli on his plate. And one day he put it in his mouth and his eyes got big and he said, Hey, this is really good. Wow. Collectively the whole family like fell out of our chairs. <laughs> we oh, wow. were in shock. And he proceeded to serve himself four pieces of broccoli, and start eating green foods just like that. But I had to be patient for three long years of exposing him to broccoli.
0: (laughs) That's a long time, but we can't force our children to eat the foods that their body is not ready to eat, right?
1: No, that's true. The forcing only creates the power struggles, Um, again, causes that stress, which physiologically shuts down digestion. So bummer, even if you do force a child to eat, their body is probably not getting the nutrients out of it because they're not digesting well. And that's a cascading, you know, effect of health problems. Um, but also we need to teach our kids to be good eaters, not just to eat well. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. We need to teach our kids to be good eaters, not just to eat well. And being a good eater means being a mindful eater and listening to your body, not listening to external forces like mom and dad, media, commercials, friends, right? We don't, right. Want to, we don't want to train them to be susceptible to peer pressure.
0: So we're, that, you we're know. just on board. So I need to eat, <laughs> right? You know, just basic things that pop up where we feel like we're conditioned to go to the kitchen when we can't think of anything else to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, we don't want to train kids to listen to external forces, telling them what to eat. We need to train them to listen to their body. And that includes our own right external of course. So the the really practical strategy here for parents, two things. One is very famous division of responsibility, that once we've served the meal, our responsibility is over. And the child has, is their their responsibility is to choose what they eat and how much. And so, so in our responsibility, the second tip is especially if you're serving something new, a new food, serve a safe food as well. Okay. We always want to make sure that our, our meals have multiple options. So that a child always sees something that they can eat that is, and you have to like it too, right? A safe food for them that they like and that you feel is nourishing enough to get them through to the next meal, right? And so that. even mm-hmm. on meals when my kids don't like the main course, like I've got a daughter who hates salmon, such a bummer. And I try to serve fish once a week, but I make sure that one or two sides are things she likes, plus you know raw veggies and dip and salad and you know foods that we just always serve all the time. So even though she's literally skipping the main course, she has like a centimeter long little piece on her plate that she turns up her nose at, but I make her have it every time for that exposure bucket. And, um, but she always has enough to eat, even without the main course, which sounds kind of unimaginable, but it's very possible as long as you have options.
0: For sure, I love it. So let me let me ask you um, from my Conscious Parents Thriving Kids community, we had a couple of people that shared some of their challenges. And one said, I find that I make one meal, protein veggie starch, and at least two of my four refuse to eat the quote unquote disgusting meal. I make sure there's always something on the table that they have eaten in the past, like you just suggested. But it depends on their mood if it is an acceptable option in that moment. I find myself saying, she said that. I made this. If you want something else, you have to make it yourself. At that time, she said, it seems like a good idea, but they end up eating cereal and Nutella and fluff sandwiches every night. Then I wonder why I cook it all. So what would your suggestion be in this case? Or, you know, do you have any thoughts about this, the Nutella and fluff sandwich? Sounds really Mm -hmm. yummy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds a little like dessert. Um, so many thoughts. And I, you told me that you asked members of your audience and got some stories and I thought I'm so excited because I love hearing the real world. Right. And first huge compliments to this mom because her mindset's in the right place, right? She did exactly what I just said. She served multiple options, protein, veggie starch, like she's being super intentional. And then what sounded like a good idea has broken, right? That, Oh, just make it yourself. So the kids do, um, what I would You have to is, mean that, right?
0: When you say it, you have to mean it.
1: <laughs> it's true. It's true. And then, but then here's the thing, right? Parenting is always a work in process. So when mm-hmm. when we see that something's not working, it's okay to pull back on that and say, you know, kids, I thought that was a good idea, but now, now you don't eat anything I make. So I think that was actually a bad idea. And, and we're pulling that back. I'm not going to say that anymore. Okay. So that option's off the table. Here's what we're going to do, right? You eat what I serve. And you can choose not to eat and that's fine. However, really, really important thing is that the kitchen must stay closed until the next eating opportunity, mm. right? They can't yeah. come back half an hour later for a quote snack. Really, really important that that kids know that's it. Dinner is over. You know, if you're going to bed within an hour and a half or two hours, there's no time for a bedtime snack. Um, your, your body needs at least 90 minutes to two hours to run a digestion cycle. So that's the minimum amount of time you want between the end of one eating opportunity, snack or meal and the beginning of the next. Okay. So a couple things for that mom, right? Take that, take that offer off the table, make sure there's no snack opportunity afterward. Also, And I think this will really help her a lot too, is um, create a buffer between whatever snack is before dinner. Make sure those kids have at least 90 minutes to two hours to build up an appetite because when they come to the table with more appetite, they're more likely to accept what's there. Right? And then the third tip I would give that mom would be, um, she's trying to give them choice and agency, which is totally awesome, but let's put it at a different time of day. Instead of in the moment you can go make what you want. Say, you know, I noticed last night that dinner maybe didn't go that well for you. It didn't seem like you liked it. Would you be willing to help me plan tomorrow night's dinner or next week or, you know, whenever your meal plan runs out? And that's when you want to have the children sit down and say, you know, mom, I'd really like you to make such and such and let them help you plan. And of course, like 2.0 on that is to have them help you cook it, right? Sure. But if they're having, like you mentioned at the beginning, those choices are empowering, but the choices shouldn't be in the meal middle of the meal they should be before the meal happens
0: that's beautiful brilliant and and you can even use the words they used, right can you help me plan something that's not a disgusting meal i mean you can throw the their language right back a disgusting meal to you
1: <laughs> yes exactly so that you're
0: talking in their language you know oh yeah that would be great you know they'd be much more interested probably in in joining you so i i love all that you shared and You know, it's interesting. um, Last night I was starving before dinner, you know, starving. We're all starving, aren't we? And so I was snacking while I was making dinner and then I ate dinner and then I felt awful afterward. These snacks that we eat right up until the meal don't support us as adults and they certainly don't support our children, but it's happening all over the world, isn't
1: it? Well, especially in America, you know, in, in European countries, you don't even see cup holders in cars, or at least you didn't years ago until American influence, because people did not snack, they didn't eat on the go, they didn't snack on the go. In many European countries, they still don't. So it's, it's kind of an American problem that we're over snacking and over our kids.
0: Yeah, yeah, I have heard that as well. Well, here's another question or another uh, challenge from from one of uh, my members of the community. Uh, Actually, she gave me four running uh, things in the family. One is love this food yesterday. Today, it's decidedly yucky. (laughs) Second is can't be warmer than room temperature. Third, some days they'll just inhale anything that she sets in front of them. Most days though, are only fruit and sandwiches all other options are decidedly yucky. And the fourth item in this family is running around the table is fun, playing with toys at the table is fun, sitting and eating at the table is decidedly too scary. So what are your thoughts about some of these things that she shared?
1: Oh my, well, the first three are actually solved by just one rule. And that's again, Elaine Satter, or Ellen Satter's division of responsibility. You choose what you serve, they choose what and how much they eat. And so we feel so much stress. We feel so much pressure as parents to make sure our kids are eating, but that's not your job. So if I could say one thing to that mom, it's release yourself from the expectation that you need to get your kids to eat, right? It's completely normal for kids to eat in waves, right? picky like a bird one day, hungry like a bear the next, uh, especially if they're, You know, little kids five and under totally totally normal and over the course of a week if they're offered a wide variety of foods. Like if you took you know if we did averages of what they ate in a week, you would likely see very average intake of a lot of different nutrients, um, especially if the kids are listening to their bodies, you know, and so you just need to serve a wide variety and then step back you know the room temperature thing is funny because we we learned that too when our kids were little and so we just started serving them cold leftovers makes (laughs) it a
0: lot easier from a parent's standpoint right
1: (laughs) you're gonna heat it up for 10 minutes and then blow on it for five why (laughs) not meet in the middle and give it to them out of the fridge so that that one's just so funny that's just the bane of parents everywhere um now the last one was different that was the running around the table
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. yes so I have a practical tip and a fun tip for that one. And the practical tip is quite simply to to lay out your expectations, just like you would with homework, going potty, brushing your teeth. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This is the family dinner table. And those of us who are seated are eating. And those of us who are not seated are excused. So whenever you're ready to be excused, just start running around, you know, and and I'll grab your plate and put in the dishwasher. Or whatever, you know, however you would normally end your meal. Again, I would make my kids take their own plate in. But that's, I mean, and then it's going to be hard, really, really hard for three or four days. As you know, Sue, with any new parenting strategy, it's going to stink, but then they'll get it, right? Mm -hmm. After some Mm -hmm. tears. Now the fun, so then that's like one strategy. Fun strategy is to surprise your children. Do something wild, like take all the tears away one day for the kids, maybe not for the parents. And say, you know what? you like being on your feet. Why don't you just eat standing up today, right? Or eat under the table or eat by candlelight or eat on a picnic blanket in the middle of your kitchen. Anything that like breaks their normal habits. And most likely they're so surprised that they'll just eat. (laughs) They'll just eat what's in front of them because, you know, their environment is so like suddenly differently stimulating. Um, You can't do that every night, but that's a nice way to sort of Pattern interrupt and create a break in their habits. Um, I love and that. It, and it does end. Yeah. We've, and I've, I've shared pictures on Instagram of my kids standing on wobble boards, standing Ooh. on balance boards at the dinner table because sitting in the chair is not a battle that I want to pick. I don't think it's that important to be seated. And in fact, really interesting feeding experts say that when kids are sitting on chairs that are adult sized chairs and their feet are dangling, their body is actually trying to keep their balance from falling out of the chair because when your foot is not touching something it's telling your brain you might fall and so they're they're not thinking this it's a subconscious level but subconsciously they're using some energy and effort to not fall out of their chair and that energy and effort is now not put into eating and
0: it should be going
1: into eating is that (laughs) not the most fascinating thing that's so So,
0: fascinating yeah yeah. notice
1: your kids mine will put one foot down off the chair you know so like half on half off and so that's why we said, if you don't, if your chair is not working for you, you can stand on a wobble board, you can you can push the chair out of the way, but you need to stay in your space, right? We're still yeah. eating,
0: but we don't right. have to be
1: sitting. So that's all kind of wild and crazy and out there, but it's scientific and it works.
0: You know, it's not wild and crazy because I think in in essence, we're, we're creating less stress for ourselves by looking at the power struggle and our agenda and our ego, right? that comes to the dinner table saying it has to look like X, who says, right? So even, even having the tent in the kitchen or, you know, sitting in a, at a picnic or I love, you know, all these, all of these ideas under the table, your children might love it so much that they might want to do it once a week. Or, you know, can we do a surprise meal, you know, where you bring the meal somewhere else and, you know, at the table. So creativity is really key in these arenas. And I love what you shared. I almost wish that my kids were little again, so I could practice all these wonderful things. I do and I don't. (laughs) I don't want to go through all the other challenges. But what what a beautiful way to to let go and engage in a different way that really honors the fact that these are children. So often we forget what it's like to be a child. I can actually right now in this moment remember my legs shaking because they were hanging and dangling when I was a kid. I would just shake one leg, you know, just the movement. Well, my mom didn't like that so much. So she was always smacking my leg to keep it still. But that was not my nature to be still. And of course, it was an adult chair. I can actually picture this all in my mind right now. So I love the honoring of the child and really in parenting, you know, whether it's in the kitchen, at the dining table, or wherever. Honoring the essence of the child will only help all to grow and thrive together in a connected way. Than fighting the essence of the child. Oh, that's beautiful. So, um, I there was a number of other you know questions and thoughts, but mostly these were you know the the um, the basis of you know of most of them. Uh, the only last thing that came up was, I'm not hungry. <laughs> And, you know, we talked about in the community, sitting with the family anyway, for a little choice, or a little bit of time, and not making, you know, the snacks or the dessert an opportunity for that person to skip the meal. And you already, you know, spoke about that so beautifully. But any other thoughts to that? Isn't that
1: frustrating? though when the kids say, I'm not hungry, but then, you know, half an hour later, they're hungry or, you know, this is similar, but flip is when the child takes two bites and then says, I'm full.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, No,
1: you're not full. So I, you know, definitely I call it the MS 91 and done rule between meals and snacks, at least 90 minutes, MS 90, that. and then that's one cool. and done one snack, one serving. I tell my kids, your snack is not supposed to make you full. Your snack is supposed to stop you from being hungry. Okay. And so that's where that's, one big reason I think why kids will say I'm not hungry, it's probably because their snack was too close or too big because they you know they know how to push our little buttons. Say, oh, mom, I love this snack. Can I have more? And you're thinking, sweet, it's kind of a healthy snack. I feel complimented. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm going to give them seconds. Nope, <laughs> no right. seconds on snacks. It's just supposed to cut their hunger until the next meal, not fill them up. So I, I just think that snack time management is a massive impact mm-hmm. on the kids saying I'm not hungry, you know, and if, then if you're doing that right, and they say they're not hungry, then what you said is absolutely right. Oh, that's all right. You know, your next eating opportunity will be tomorrow morning at breakfast, mm-hmm. hang out with the family. We've got a few questions for you.
0: Yeah, and don't make it a huge struggle. You, you know, I think it's important to think about snack time management from a parental standpoint. So you know, we are the models for our children. So when we say, you know, we're trying to manage the snacks and when we're committing to that 90 minutes and one snack, we have to be sure we're modeling that too, Mm -hmm. because if they see us sneaking our hands in the fridge or in the snack drawer, cabinet, whatever it might be, because we're hungry, we're not speaking and, you know, embodying what it is we're trying to teach them. So model what you speak about with your children, you know, be the best model you can be. Mm, so oh, sure.
1: important. And, you know, we, we hear that we've seen memes and jokes about it in the pandemic times <laughs> so, when all these p- parents are home and they're not used to being home. And they're like, oh, I never realized being 10 feet from the kitchen would be so evil for right? my waistline, you know, because, because we don't have those good habits. So it makes it all the more important, right. To train our kids, to have those habits of eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full, being mindful, listening to your body, not eating because you're bored or sad or tired or, you know, emotional eating and stuff like that. So we, we built those habits. We all built those habits in childhood and they are so hard to break. So what a gift to our kids to help them build better habits that they won't have to break.
0: Right. And by gifting them this, we're also making sure that we practice it. So that Mm -hmm. we can be the best models and so it shifts our own behavior too as we're helping them it's beautiful so tell us katie where can people find out more about you engage with you and you know gather their children to learn from you as well
1: well i love getting knives in the hands of children sue not to be (laughs) taken the wrong way Um, but time and time again our members favorite lesson in our Kids Cook Real Food e-course is our knife skills and safety training. It's a 10-minute video for ages two to teen, all the way from butter knives to chef's knives, and I would love to give that to your audience for free. They can go to kidscookrealfood.com cptk, the name of your podcast and your group, um, and, and sign up and grab that knife skills class and so that's I mean that's the best way to kind of see what we do and see it in your own family people say after that one class they start getting some help in the kitchen which is amazing and the kids feel confident so that's definitely the way to go if you want to see what day-to-day life is like in my family of six instagram at kids cook real food is where I'm the most personal
0: awesome excellent and I will share that uh, link as well Thank you so much for being here. It's just been an honor and a pleasure chatting with you and having you share your wonderful ideas, tips, and knowledge with the community.
1: Same to you, Sue. Thank you.
0: And to the listeners, thank you for joining us. Remember, every moment is a new moment for conscious connection. Thanks for listening to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend